Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Welcome, and this is the Spirit Seeker radio show that is hosted each week by Spirit Seeker magazine. And as the welcoming uh, little, you know, welcome said, you can read Spirit Seeker at spiritseeker.com. We have been published in the Midwest for 15 years in St. Louis, and then we expanded to Kansas City four years ago, Chicago one year ago, and we are now um, being distributed also throughout Missouri, Illinois, and into Arkansas. And we are a a sponsor of many different events. We cover anything that's happening in the Midwest, and we also go um, beyond that reach, especially through the radio show, which brings guests from all over the world, um, primarily the U.S., but we're, you know, reaching more and more people. And tonight is a very special uh, show, and I'm going to bring our guests on in one second, but I just want to mention that uh, Spirit Seeker just recently was at the Celebrate Your Life conference, which was absolutely fabulous, and that is one, we've been a sponsor of that event for six years. We just covered Marianne Williamson, who is in St. Louis, who is a spiritual activist and has been on the, the front lines of spirituality for many years. So it is now my delight and privilege to um, bring on a panel of guests this evening that has been brought together through the wisdom and the, what do you call it, you know, just the the vision of Dolores Cannon, who is this person who was a speaker at uh, Spirit Seekers Conference back in 2008. She's delightful, she's intelligent, she's in and out of all different parts of the world, uh, both personally and then representing authors from all over the world, anyone on the forefront of spirituality. So I want to tell you just a little bit about Dolores Cannon, and then um, and then we will bring her on. Dolores Cannon, as I said, is a visionary. She's a past life regressionist and hypnotherapist and author of many, many, many books. Um, she has She lives in on top of a mountain in Arkansas and reaches the world through uh, through just who she is. And she has a publishing house, uh, Ozark Mountain Publishing, and that is how she continues to meet uh, amazing people doing the work all over the world. Now, we are going to be hearing from Dolores Cannon. We're going to be hearing from Arun Gandhi on total nonviolence. We're going to be hearing from Guy Needler, The History of God, and Wayne Peterson, Humanity at the Crossroads. And these are all speakers at the Transforming Our Global Consciousness uh, conference in uh, Rogers, Arkansas, July 13th through 15th. Okay, now, Dolores, are you there? Yes, I'm here. <laughs> what a delight. Thank you so much for, for bringing your, your peers and everyone together and for all the work you're doing. 
Yeah, we're really working hard to get ready for this conference. This is our seventh one, our seventh year of doing this, and it just keeps growing every year. Wow. When I began it, it was the idea of featuring our authors, especially our new authors that we have every year because a lot of them have not had exposure. To get them used to audiences and being able to lecture, that was the idea and then we also have a keynote speakers every year. So it is growing, and I do think it does help these authors to be able to get out there to start reaching people. Well, and you have the publishing, uh, you know, you know, the house in, in the U.S., but then now you're all over the U.K. as well. Am I, am I correct in, you know, and is, yeah. is it, I mean, yeah, when did we, that well, happen? Books have always been all over the world because they're translated in about 20 different languages, but we do now have an office in the U.K. that is a branch of Ozark Mountain Publishing. So now we'll be reaching more in the U.K. and also Europe. And that's why, well, down the road, I don't want to bring it up right away because we're going to focus on this conference, but in September we'll be doing our first transformation conference in London. So we are spreading out all over the world. But tonight we want to focus on the one that's coming up in a few weeks. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, you know, Dolores, you know, you you are in and out of countries that, you know, you know, you've been in and out of Russia, I know. You've been all over. You've been in, you know, New Zealand, England, Europe, the Soviet countries, Australia, Asia, all over. And you look like this quiet, everyday, you know, like sit down and let's have a conversation person. And, and then... <laughs> And I've heard you speak, and I've also had a regression with you. So, you know, before we bring our guests on, you know, I know this was your original vision, but what has changed? Because you're you're seeing a bigger vision, I can feel this, with even, you know, your next conference already being planned. So what, what do you feel is happening with, you know, the conferences, and now we have spiritual TV, and, you know, there's like, it's 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 changing. And I know technology has something to do with it, but it's bigger than that. Oh, I know. I can see it's changing because I lecture all over the world. And incidentally, I was in China just a few months ago, and I'm going back at the end of this year, so we're even getting in there. And people came from all over China to hear my lecture in Shanghai. That's how much things have changed, and it really is growing. There's a big interest. I'm seeing it more now than I did because, you know, I've been doing this work for 45 years. And in the beginning, you know, everybody thought we were crazy. We were the fringe, you know, reincarnation, past lives. What are you talking about? So I've watched it develop and change over all those years. And now, though, everywhere I'm going, people are getting it. I was surprised at Shanghai. They really understood this. And in all of my lectures during the last year, I've noticed the change because a lot of it has to do with the young people. And I think it has to do with the Internet generation because many of them were saying, we just found out about you. And I said, well, I haven't been hiding. I've been doing this a long time. But it shows that the young people are beginning to get it through the Internet. And they aren't afraid of what people are going to think. If they believe in reincarnation, you know, they're just going to say so. So I can see things are changing and time is changing. Uh, people are opening up more to this and becoming more receptive. 
And that's a good thing. Well, and the other thing, uh, Dolores, is you really, you know, the, the people that you're bringing to the conference, these are these are people doing this work, but they're also scientists and peace activists. And, you know, you're, you have such a credible um, following, um, and you've written so many different books, you know, and I've, I've read many of them, but, you know, just to name a few, there are three volumes of Conversations with Nostradamus, The Legend of Star Star. Uh, Crash Keepers of the Garden, Legacy from the Stars, A Soul Remembers Hiroshima, They Walked with Jesus, Jesus and the Essenes, you know, and on and on between death and life. And, you know, these are just a few of your books. And, you know, uh-huh. so so you're out there, you know, in the, uh, right, the custodians, I don't know if I mentioned that one. And, <laughs> and of course, your latest book, The Convoluted Universe, but now don't you have like Three volumes of that, too. Four. Four volumes. Four. Ah, I've lost track. Last year was the first time I did two books in one year. I did the Three Waves of Volunteers, which has turned out to be a huge success all over the world. And then I've done the four volumes of uh, Convoluted Universe. And I'm working on three more books now. So I'm constantly writing. There is so much material but in addition, see, I'm the publisher of the Ozark Mountain Publishing, and uh, I'm the one who reads all of the submissions. People said, how do you find time to do all this? Well, this is my work. We get hundreds and hundreds of submissions to be published. I read every single one of those, and then I make the decision which one we're going to publish. And believe me, it's, it's far between when you find a good one. I keep saying you have to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a prince because a lot of it is, you know, it's just old, same old, and I have to send all those rejections back. But we now have over 50 other authors that we're publishing, and I think we have just signed on five more that will be out by the end of the year and by next year. So we're we're doing real well, and I think we're getting good books. We're getting good authors that have something to say. You know, um, you were, you were, you know, this is the second time I've heard kissing many frogs before you get the prince in one day. So I'm like, okay, pay attention. And, you know, when I, when I was preparing, you know, for the interview, I, uh, one of the guests that we'll bring on in just a few minutes, uh, guy Stephen Needler, you know, you were instrumental in both helping him with that, you know, seeing that the book and then merging two books and then helping with that book. Am I correct with that? Yes, because he was a submission, just like all the other hundreds that come in. And I knew the book had potential, but it needed work. And he had a second book, but it wouldn't stand alone. So, yes, I had to uh, combine the books, and he worked with me on that. to turn it into one book. And I always tell the authors, if you work with me, we'll have a good book. Some some of them that we want to take on, they'll say, no, I'm not changing a single word. That's my baby. Well, then, sorry, because I know what makes a good book, and if they work with me, I know it'll be a success. But that book is really out there, and people love it, The History of God. But now we are publishing Guy's second book, Beyond the Source. And he keeps going into deeper and deeper subjects, and he's going to be talking about his work, too. But, yeah, you know, we just found him that way, and that's how they usually do. People submit the books, and then we decide, I decide which one we're going to do. Now, with Gandhi, 
I met him, oh golly, it must be almost 20 years ago when I met him at an ARE conference. And, you know, he's the grandson of Mahatma Gandhi. And he was telling me that he had a book he had written and nobody would, would look at it. They wouldn't even publish it. It was the story of his grandmother, the wife of Mahatma Gandhi. And everybody wanted him to write about his grandfather. Well, I said, send it to me and I'll look at it. <laughs> anyway, it turned out to be wonderful. And I also helped him with that. It didn't need much work. I think we changed the ending was the main thing. But that book has been out now for 20 years, and I'm very proud to be associated with Mr. Gandhi. He's a wonderful person. Well, and I let's just segue right into that. Um, uh, Arun Gandhi, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay. Thank you very much, Dolores. <laughs> okay, but you know we go back a long way, don't we? Yes, we do. Well, and... Um, okay. And I had the uh, the good fortune of uh, attending your lecture when you were in St. Louis, I don't know, within the last, you know, few years. And it was very, very inspiring. And you, you know, with your, with your family history and all of the work that you continue to do, you know, I, I just thank you from my heart to your heart. Thank you very oh, much. Yes. Yeah. So I um I you know, I want to give websites for um for our guests. So um I'm gonna come back to Dolores at the end, but to read more about um Arun Gandhi and, and what he is doing with his work, please visit www.arungandhi.org. So you will be speaking at the conference, and um, and and your um, what will your topic be, and and what wisdom do you have with the way things are changing so radically with, you know, financial, with with spiritual, with everything, and the internet now connecting all of us. Um, I would just love to just hear your wisdom for for our listeners. Well, I think I have a tremendous legacy then uh, from my grandfather and from my parents and. I need to share that legacy with as many people as possible. Uh, one of the things that I have learned from my parents and grandparents is that we have created a culture of violence um, because we have all, all the na nations of the world gone in for a materialistic society, and materialism requires preservation, and that's why we have this culture of violence, which is seeped so deeply in us that our language, our sports, our entertainment, our behavior, our relationships, everything is violent. And it's that culture of violence that keeps uh, growing like cancer and uh, slowly destroying humanity. So I'm, uh, uh, you know, of the opinion, as my grandfather was, that we have to change that culture of violence to a culture of nonviolence and create a more compassionate, loving, respectful society. Well, and you're working with heads of state. You, you've worked with uh, President Clinton with the Renaissance Weekend. What was that like with all the Rhodes Scholars and, and putting your minds together? I, I, I don't. I had not heard of that, but I know that um, there is a lot of work being done by President Clinton uh, with many heads of state. To work, but he's doing almost as much work outside of office, from what I understand, as he did in office. Yes, indeed, he is, and I was very fortunate when he invited me to this Renaissance Weekend, which was 
very overwhelming for me because they were all road scholars and I'm no scholar. And um, so, but, uh, you know, they were very accepting and and uh, respectful and uh, and we had a wonderful time and over a period of five years, uh, every year we went to the discussions and exchanged ideas and I'm just hoping that I was able to plant some seeds in their minds which um, eventually germinated. Well, and you're speaking at so many different places. You've you've spoken at the Women's Justice Center in Ann Arbor, Michigan, the Chicago Children's Museum, the Young Presidents Organization in Mexico, the trade union leaders uh, meeting in Milan, Italy. Um, you were with the the Peace and Justice Center in St. Louis, Missouri. You've been France, Ireland. Scotland, Japan, Nicaragua, China, I mean, all over, and a lot of young people you're reaching. Yes, I do. I I speak mostly at universities everywhere, and I find that the young people are more and more interested in an alternative to violence, and uh, that's very encouraging because I think the young people are the leaders of tomorrow, and if they um, find a viable alternative, uh, they can possibly change the world. You know, I was just in Chicago in April uh, for His Holiness the Dalai Lama's visit, and he spoke so highly of your grandfather. And, um, you know, he had a, an essay competition with the high schools mm. where the young people wrote essays on how they could uh, create more peace in their home and how they could then take that out into the community. And then the three uh, young people who, you know, you know, won, you know, the, the opportunity, they, they were able to um, ask the Dalai Lama their first questions and to read their essays in front of this. Uh, there were over 4,000 in the morning session and 4,000 in the afternoon. And I saw the picture where you were with the Dalai Lama and Martin Luther King Jr. the third on His Holiness's 76th birthday. Right, in Verizon Center in Washington, D.C. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, he um, he's making such a difference, and you know, and he mentioned uh, your grandfather. You know, you know, because one of the questions that the young people ask is, "How can you know we're we're just like one person?" You know, and he said, "Was Mahatma Gandhi not one person?" Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, and the same. You know, we all start with one person, and then that continues to grow and expand. So yeah, I have a signature line on in my email which says that if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping in a room with one mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> it says it all right there. <laughs> oh, so so you continue to do this work, and you, um, you'll you be speaking at the conference, and would you like to talk about what you'll be, I mean, it's, it's probably most everything we're talking about here, but just for the listeners who are like, uh, like saying, okay, I need to go, what, what will you be talking about um, at the wonderful conference with Dolores? Basically, I'll be speaking about how we can become the change that we wish to see in the world. Everybody wants a change in the world. Everybody wants... Uh, something to happen, but nobody wants to take the first step, and and no change can come about in the world if the individual doesn't change at all. So I'm going to try to emphasize that point and and uh, you know speak a lot more about 
the very famous quotation of my grandfather, which has become an international quotation now, that we must be the change we wish to see in the world. Well, and you've written several books yourself, you know, and you have spoken or, or written quite a bit about your experience with apartheid in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And would you like to talk about, you know, anything along that line for our listeners? There's been so much change, but there still is more change, you know. Yeah, there, yeah I lived there at the time when, uh, you know, hate and prejudice were at the worst. And apartheid was introduced, and, uh, you know, it seemed to me like everybody hated everybody else there, and there was no love between human beings at all. Uh, It was a very traumatic uh, period, and it had a lot of uh, effect on, on my life. I became very angry and frustrated and... Uh, also hateful and uh, wanted revenge and and that is when my parents decided to take me to India and give me the opportunity to live with grandfather and uh, he taught me some very valuable lessons uh, between the age of 12 and 14 which really uh, made me understand his philosophy in its true sense and and what he, uh, you know, meant by all the work that he did. So I've uh, been able to channel that frustration and anger that I felt uh, during the life in South Africa. I lived there for 23 years, and uh, all that frustration now I have channeled into constructive action to make people realize that all this uh, prejudice and discrimination and oppression uh, and exploitation is not good, and that we should really be civilized human beings if we want to um, be recognized as civilized human beings. Well, in the in the book um, Arun that you wrote about your grandmother, you co-authored that. Am I correct with your uh, with your wife? Yes, my wife helped me a lot in research because you know we found when we embarked on this project that. Uh, there was not much written material available on her. And so we had to depend a lot on oral history and to construct her life from uh, oral history. So it took a lot of time and research. And uh, because we have modest means, uh, I had to work to support the family, and and, um, she had more free time that she could go out and meet people and interview them and, and... so it was a combined effort on both our parts. Well, and you worked with programs with her that have affected um, half a million people in over 300 villages. And I know that you were hoping to establish a school in, um, I am I, sorry, your late wife's uh, name. Has that happened? Yes, the school has started. We haven't constructed the building yet, but we have been able to rent a premises and we have started the school and we have a total of about 150-plus children um, who have come from extreme poverty. And all of these children are the first generation in about uh, 12 generations to get education. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be an attempt to try to help them break the cycle of poverty. Uh, it's a massive program. I mean, you know, there are millions and millions of children all over the world who live in poverty and destitution and have no hope at all. 
But uh, what little we can do, we would like to do and uh, keep growing and expanding and helping as many people as we can. Well, thank you, thank you for sharing that. You're, you're, you, you come from so many wonderful people in your in your family tribe, whatever you know, you know. It's just amazing, you know. And I think it's just wonderful that that you know you and your wife were able to collaborate on the book about your grandmother, and then here Dolores makes it possible for all of us to read it. So. Yeah, if it wasn't for her, we that manuscript probably would be still sitting on the shelf there. But it was Dolores who uh, helped bring it out, and uh, and everything transformed my life completely. Uh, well, but about the school, if uh, you and your listeners are interested in knowing more about it, there is a website, GandhiForChildren.org, that uh, you could go to, and you'll get uh, all the information about the school, about the children. There are videos of the children and interviews with them and it's a very moving site. Well, and and you know, um the Dalai Lama uh to just to go back to him for a moment said, you know, so many people think that you will spoil children by loving them and he said you cannot love a child enough. Right. I br- was brought up in a non-violent family and we they didn't my parents didn't believe in punishment. They believed in penance. So every time we did something wrong, they did penance. They would fast for a day or two, depending on how serious the offense was. And uh, they would sit and feed us and cook and everything, but they wouldn't eat. But because the relationship between the parents and us was one based on mutual respect and love, we felt awful when that kind of thing happened. And so we made made sure that we didn't do that again. And that was through love, you know, the love of penance that uh, they did was love. That's just, that's amazing. That's just, thank you for sharing that. Um, That's, you know, demonstration, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and here you are, you know, sharing this. You know, and and who knows how many people you'll affect just by hearing this. So, you know, and I just, you know, I looked at the children, and one of the the young people asked uh, the Dalai Lama, like, you know, but what what can we really do or whatever? As I mentioned earlier, and I remember him saying, you know, in thirty years, I w- I will not be here. He says you will, and you'll be ruling the world. So, think about what what just this this you know the the paper that you wrote and these ideas you know you're the future and it's just so true it's just so true so thank yeah. you thank you thank you you're welcome thank you very much for having me on okay. your show okay and we listeners we will take calls uh but i want to introduce the panel first um so when we're at that point where uh and i know a lot of times people don't want to even ask questions they just want to listen but um but but let's go to since i've mentioned uh guy stephen needler uh guy are you there Yes, I'm online. Hello, Cindy. How are you? Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for Skyping in. You know, I'm learning a lot about technology, and my daughter is in law school in Spain right now, and, you know, we've we've been Skyping, but I didn't realize that you could Skype into a phone line. So thank you for teaching me. <laughs> well, I, I use Skype an awful lot these days. 
they used Skype to do readings for people um, all over, literally, literally all over the world since um, Dolores has, has taken me under, under her wing. And uh, by the way, I can't thank Dolores enough because she's been a great help. Uh, the Ozark team has been a great help. Uh, Julia's been a great help. They're very, very intuitive about the the business yeah. of running a publishing agency, plus also you know dealing with subject matters that are the right genre and pushing it out there to to expand the the consciousness of the human race. And 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 they've helped up an awful lot in that respect. So I offer my great thanks there. Well, and your background is fascinating. So I'm just going to just tell the listeners a little bit about you, and then and then we'll jump into present day. But you started off with an MBA, and a degree in engineering. You trained as a mechanical engineer. You then went into an electrical and electronics engineer. Very, 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 you know, linear analytical mind. And then, but when, but when you were younger. You kept seeing things. Is this correct, or how did this all start with the with the other part of your mind and experiences? Well, basically, from a very very early age, I've been able to contact um, and experience that which is of the, from the worlds of spirit, from the higher frequency environment. Uh, I thought it was quite common at first, and I was experiencing things and, and seeing, um, think for instance, the wind, astral traveling, and. <laughs> One of the, the great stories I tell is, as I say, um, I said to my mum, Mum, I can see the wind. And she said, don't be so stupid. Nobody can see the wind. I thought, well, I can see it. <laughs> it's just going up, you know, over, over the roof, over the, over the next door neighbor's house. Um, but I started to do a lot of meditation as well and, and, and become more and more deep in my meditation. And um, I got to a point where I was doing an awful lot of meditation for somebody of my age. I was in my late teens by then and um, four rogue individuals who I can only classify as being those individuals who are helping me with my current incarnation um, visited me in a, during one of my meditations and said look you've got to experience more of the physical realm before you can continue to do what you're doing now um, so from that day onwards basically and for the next almost 20 years I really kept the spiritual side of my existence on the back burner and it was only when I was exp- I'd started to get interested in uh, the sort of the healing arts when a friend of mine at college said that she was go- doing Reiki and would I be interested in going on a course and I said yes I would do but things started to get more and more back into the spiritual again and then another friend who was also doing the same Reiki course had went to work in Sweden for a motor car company over there um, offered the chance of having a cheap holiday myself and my wife went over there and uh, as a result of that and unknown to me his Reiki master uh, said that they had he had to take me to a certain part of um, a river for a walk where I was then subsequently had a, a quite a massive attunement as a result of meditation I had on a, on a rock there and um, I started to become more and more aware and awake and um, so at the same time, it started to have another healing uh, course done by a lady called Helen Stutt, who was one of Barbara Brennan's first-generation students. And it was during the the teaching aspect that, that, that she was she was teaching us how to rise up and down the frequencies to enable healing on the different auric layers and, and the different chakras and, and, and a lot of other stuff that we, that we do, things like 
spine cleansing and or cloud clearing and, all, and a whole host of other different healing opportunities. But I started to notice I could go further up the frequencies than those I was being taught to use. And it was during that that I discovered that I could, through developing my own techniques, move further and further up the frequencies, meeting uh, and communicating with other other entities, other spiritual entities that existed on different frequencies, different dimensions. And, and eventually I got to the, the source or, or that entity that is what we classify as God. And since then I've been going beyond that as well. Well, and the title of your book is is says it all, the history of God. So uh, this this was a journey. I mean, this was just not something that you wrote overnight. This was, you know, from the time you were a child being awakened and then you know, and Barbara Brennan, you know, I mean, she's one of the most brilliant people that, you know, has done energy healing, and she's one of the, as you know, one of the people who discovered that when people are sick, there's normally an energy leak, and, you know, how to how to scan, how to read, how to treat, et cetera. I mean, you know, and, and, and you know, her program, what is, what, four to five years to become a Barbara Brennan-trained, um, hands-on practitioner? Well, yes, it took, um, I, I studied Reiki for two years beforehand, and then, it was it was it was a good four years to four and a half years with Helen, as as, as again Helen was one of Barbara's first generation students, and it was four years of really hard work, lots of homework, lots of psychotherapies. We had to enter into our own, into therapy as well to make sure that we were clean when we were dealing with patients and make sure we didn't bring our own stuff into it. So right. it was extremely demanding and hard um, work environment from a spiritual and an energetic perspective. And we used to go, to, go away to weekends and spend whole weekends. I mean, we absolutely shattered <laughs> during and after the, the courses because of the way we were working with energies and sorting ourselves out and working on, a, on, on, on the other students there and helping each other to, to work with the, the energies and different techniques. And it was a re- really hard work. And, and you know, doing that and starting to experience different things and journaling, it, it, it the first book took really about seven or eight years to get into some sort of shape. And uh, as Dolores said, it was she received the first manuscript, and I actively discounted an, an amount of work because I didn't think it was particularly relevant. And I submitted it as a second book, a prequel. And then Dolores said, "Well, no, no, this is this is the bit that makes it all work because it's it shows your history, it shows the." It fills in the gaps as to where where you are, where you've come from, and, and how it's progressed. So it's really quite important. And she was absolutely right. I mean, when the lady's a master, I don't know what, God, that well, and, <laughs> right. and you talk about um, the twelve source entities. Yes, and, and, one yeah. of the things I discovered um, as I was writing through the frequencies in this meditative state, and then and, and then later created a, a constant and robust communicative link was that that entity that was our God, our source entity, wasn't the only one. There was, there was 12 of these entities, and they were created by an, an, another um, entity that, that announced itself later as the origin. And, and as he created these, these 12 source entities, I mean, the origin, by the way, is something, is something that you can classify as being the absolute. Um, all there is, it, it, the Hindu texts call it the absolute, as being that, yeah, that which is beyond God. Um, and I've, I've only recently found this out for looking some, some really old yogic texts, by the way, but the information I've been picking up totally independently is, 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 is an ancient piece of information that is now starting to become 
more and more aware that mankind is starting to become more and more aware and awake of, and, and, that's, and that's what I'm doing as well. And, and these 12 source entities, they've all been created to help the origin evolve in its own right. So they're, they're there to accelerate its evolution, and they've been told to go out there and, and just create multiverses and entities to fill those multiverses to, to experience the minute detail of those parts of the, the origin, the absolute, and its structure. Experience it, learn from it, and evolve, and pass that evolution back up the tree, as it were. And it's fantastic to think that, you know, we, we think the universe is big, but there's, there's nearly 400 simultaneous universes in our, in our God's multiverse. And the other source entities, uh, they're creating their own multiverses, and, 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 the, and although in Beyond the Source, which is the first book, by the way, it's book one of two, it only talks to the first six source entities. The, and that information is is, is actually, although it's, it's a book in its own right, it's, I'm, only just, I'm not even scratching the surface. The information that's out there and the, and the understanding about the greater reality is, is fantastic. Well, and at uh, at Dolores' wonderful conference, what will be the topic of your talk? And, and what will, uh, I know you have a new book that you're working on, but let's just hear just a little bit about what people can expect from your uh, your workshop. Well, the, the, the lecture will be split into two uh, with a little bit of a finale at the end. In, initially, it's going to give the basics of the history of God so that the, the audience can understand my history and how I became able to communicate with the source entity and the other source entities and the origin. Uh, and, and it will also discuss some of the, the structure of our source entities multiverse that can get a flavor of what's what's happening out there and then I'm going to go into um, describing in, in, a, in, a, in a summary way some of the information from each of the different source entities um, from the book the, the Beyond the Source book one and then right at the very end I've got six slides that will be a taster from the next book Beyond the Source book two which by the way I finished two weeks ago and I'm really excited about it because when I was looking at the galley print and the information that was coming out of Beyond the Source book one and then compared it to the information in book two, I was surprised how far I'd moved onwards. And the, and the, the information, I mean, Dolores said to Julia, her daughter, she doesn't know how I'm, how, I'm, how I'm staying sane. Well, when she reads this one, she's going to wonder how I'm staying in one piece, let alone say. It's going to really going to be really exciting. It's exciting times, and, you know, it's it's just so um, wonderful to me to hear how you, as a child, were able to read the energy, you know, fields. You were seeing the energy field with with seeing the wind. And, and, you know, children sometimes can see so many things because the veil is very thin. They're very aware. They're awake. They haven't been, you know, told yet, you know, that's crazy. Don't talk like that. But, um, okay, so I'm going, I, I, your website, I did not find a website per se, but I found guyneedler.wordpress.com, or is there a better source? Yes, the, the, there's actually a domain name which takes, takes you there. It's, um, basically, all of the books have got a domain name, so the historyofgod.eu uh, is, is for the history of God, beyondthesource.com for beyond the source, 
and there's one for um, uh, a book that's going to come later after the Dionysos uh, has been, been published, as I'm going to call in The Origin Speaks, where I'm, I'm already starting to be in a, in a constant dialogue purely with the origin. Um, but my website that encompasses, encompasses all of this is www.guystephenneedler.com. That's all one word, and Stephen is with a V. And there's a regular blog on there. You can see everything that's going on with me, what workshops I'm doing, lectures, how to get a reading from me. Um, and it's, it's great. I mean, workshops are going... I mean, I'm trying to t start to teach people to do what I do. And the workshops are starting to take off, um, not only in the UK, but uh, in the States and, and, and other parts of the world as well, worldwide. It's looking great. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, and we will um, come back. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and bring our uh, fourth guest on tonight, who is Wayne Peterson, author of Extraordinary Times, Extraordinary Beings. Uh, Wayne, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and uh what a busy man you have been. Um uh, you know I was you know I was reading some of the different things about you. You've you've uh you were a US diplomat, you know, for 32 years. Um and I love the excerpts. You can you can find um an excerpt from Wayne's book at his website which is waynepeterson.com, but let me give you um, W-A-Y-N-E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N.com right. And you too were awakened as a child. Um, would you care to share with us, you were, you're not even four years old, and, and here you have Mary appearing to you. Yes, I had no idea who she was. <laughs> I was it was because I was near death and nobody really knew it. I, I was on the verge of a ruptured appendix. And she came to me and told me how sick I was, that I must get to the hospital before midnight, or she would be back to take me away. Did I understand? Well, children, even at the age of four, sort of get the picture. And um, I convinced my parents that I was that sick only because she told me what to tell them. And I was saved. And woke up from my operation as the sun rose on Easter Sunday morning. Oh, my goodness. Well, and you recognized her because you had just been through Christmas and your mother had read the story, yeah. and you're like, that, that, that's Mary. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so then, you know, you had this at age four, and then what was the rest of the childhood like? I mean, because then the next thing you know, you were, you Pretty know. normal. <laughs> well, I, I, I wondered. I, I thought, you know... It's it's almost like the sleeping, you know, that part's there, and then here you are involved with global uh, global working. Would you like to talk about that part of your life? I mean, thirty two years at, at, with the Fulbright Scholarship or Fulbright Foundation, and what was that work like? Well, it, I got to a point in my uh, diplomatic career where my doctor said I'm having too many health problems and. I should stay in the United States. So is what they did. The government simply transferred me to a position where I could permanently stay in Washington and just have to do uh, some annual trips to various parts of the world. And that's the Fulbright Scholarship Program, which is a U.S. government program funded by Congress, was a perfect fit. And I loved the program, met a lot of people, and... Uh, 
it's a program that is uh, very much uh, honored throughout the world, so it uh, was a very fun place to be. Well, and you've served in the Peace Corps in Brazil, and, I mean, that was in the 60s, so, boy, you've seen Brazil yeah. change quite a bit. Oh, tremendously. Big, big changes. I, I was in the uh, Peace Corps in, in uh, one of the sort of underdeveloped areas at first, and it's interesting story that uh, there was a young man in high school and I knew his teacher, and he said, this guy wants to meet an American. You know, he's one of my better students. And he used to come over just to sort of have a little chat, and later he became the president of Brazil. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Strange <laughs> things happen. Well, in, in, in your book, uh, now we're going to segue back. People, you know, I know I'm jumping all over, but, you know, this is, you're such a fascinating group of people that, you know, and I, and Dolores has just done such a fabulous job of bringing all of, uh, you know, the, all of the speakers together. But, you know, with your book, you know, you had this, this childhood, you know, visit for Mary, you know, and which, thank goodness, because now you're here to talk about all of this. And then 30 years later, you're, you're on the internet surfing. Or no, no, you were channel surfing on TV and you saw yes. the Merv Griffin show. So yes. let's hear how this, I mean, this was like an awakening too. I mean, there of course are no accidents. No, that's absolutely correct. But what I remember from my childhood was that Mary said, you must stay because when you're an adult, the Christ will reappear on the planet. And I promise you, you will be one of the first to meet him. And so when I saw this book, called The Reappearance of the Christ, I sat up and paid attention and went out and bought that book. Mm-hmm. And that opened up another whole... whole that you know. opened, yes. <laughs> and uh, within a week of me reading that book, the author, Benjamin Krem, who lives in London, actually was lecturing in Washington, D.C., where I had a chance to meet him. And it was during that weekend that um, the one I call Lord Maitreya came and had a chat with me and said he needed my help. The world is going to change. We have to, we have a lot of work to do. And that was the beginning of something else. But of course, I was working for the federal government and I could not go out and speak about this in a public way. I could only do that once I had retired. Therefore, uh, my Maitreya kept saying to me, retire as soon as you can. Well, <laughs> you really have to. <laughs> you know, the earliest I could retire was age 55, and that's exactly what I did. Wow. So this whole other chapter has begun. But, you know, you, you, you share about the cocktail party where um, all of a sudden everything morphed, you know, or I don't know if that's exactly the word you used, but where every, like, time was suspended for a moment. I knew I was transitioning from the dense physical to something else. But since this had never really happened to me before that I knew of anyway, I was very curious as to what was going on. And then different political people that you did not name, I noticed, <laughs> which is okay <laughs> for their anonymity. But but then people somehow knew you were different, am I right? <laughs> Well, yes, it's strange because you you tend to have a few good friends in the office and you tell them about things. And, of course, uh, 
the major event was that uh, I disappeared for three days and didn't even know it. And on a Monday evening, after uh, a little visit from Maitreya, he said, your work begins now. And I went home. I was in my living room thinking how extraordinary it is to have Maitreya appear to me out of the blue and have a conversation. And the next thing I heard was my phone ringing, and I picked it up, and it was my office, wondering why I was not there telling me they had sent the police to my apartment. I wasn't there. And that's when they told me it was Friday afternoon, not Monday evening. And I had, uh, you know, uh, just a big blank. But I know from later conversations that I was taken off the planet. And when they brought me back, it was simply more than three days later. That one was difficult to cover up at the office. Right. <laughs> they were preparing you. Come on, it's time to start the next chapter. <laughs> oh, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and your your talk at uh, the 2012 Transformation Conference will be? Well, we're going to call it sort of um, humanity at the crossroads because that pretty much sums up one of my favorite topics that I'm asked to speak on is uh, essentially the transition we're making from this current planet into literally a new world. It's not just a change. It is a total transformation. And now that we're beginning to see some of the effects on the economic structures in the world, that I think people are going to begin to pay serious attention to the fact that we are going through changes and that all of our institutions that we have known and some loved and some hated are simply going to vanish, and we have to create new institutions, whether they're political, economic, social, religious, what have you. The old world is disappearing. So this is really a very exciting thing. It is uh, essentially seeing the chaos and recognizing that this is a rebirth of not only humanity, but it's a rebirth of the planet itself and a little about what we can expect in, in the next 10 years or so. Well, and you know, it's so uh, fascinating for me having, you know, being in the publishing, you know, the the monthly magazine in the Midwest, and you know, we're read online. We've been online for almost ten years, and you know, the the publishing houses um, and Dolores, you can jump in in just a moment. Um, they're they're predicting that in the next ten years, mo- almost everything will be online, and the thirty year olds that we were talking about earlier, they do not read regular newspapers very much anymore. They they have, you know, my son's. 26, and he reads four different news sources before he's even started his day. And everything's online. Everything is online. It's changed yeah. the whole complexion of, of everything. And, um, you know, with the Nook and Kindles, you know, it's it's every age group that is reading on the Nook and Kindle. And, you know, it's just changed all of our lives so much. It absolutely has. And this is part of the new world we're really going into. Um the ancients called it a time of uh, magic. Um, and so the next 2,000 years are what the ancient wisdom called the age of magic, which to us is 
high technology. It's magic to me, even though I know it's not magic. <laughs> it's right. technology at a level that I really do, do not understand, nor do most people. Well, you know, my I, I've, I have three children from 26 to 14, but I've raised many other children, uh, stepchildren, et cetera. And, you know, the news came through from, uh, you know, the summer news in the fall, a pilot program with two, a middle school and a high school where now all of the electronic devices like the iPhones, the laptops, et cetera, now those, those things have been like, no, 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 put those away. You're not bringing those into the classrooms. Now they, the younger teachers and just they've done studies, they realize that when someone wants to know something, I mean, if you're driving in a car and they want to know something, you know, there they are. They're looking they're looking it up on their iPhone, and they have the data right there at their fingertips. Well, now they're going to allow all of these applications in the classrooms, you know, if the, if the teacher says yes. And I think, you know, I remember Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, yeah. <laughs> and going to the library and, you know, et cetera, and things – it's you know it's everything right there at their fingertips now, and it's a whole new way of learning. So oh, so all of you will be presenting at the conference, and I'm I'm going to uh, bring it back to Dolores now. So uh, Dolores, um, what would what else would you like to share with our listeners? Because this this conference is amazing. I, I want to come, but you know I have my own small little tiny thing happening in St. Louis, and, and <laughs> <laughs> it's like but I want to be in your conference. So so let our you know our listeners know just what else can they expect at this conference? I mean, what an amazing weekend! Oh yeah, because it's three days, and we have about twelve different speakers. And I think if you've just gotten a little taste on these three that you've spoke to, you have an idea of what a fantastic weekend it's going to be. But we have many more of our authors that are going to be there and many more fantastic books. But, you know, you're talking about the advances in electronics and everything. Yes, we see that because we are on the top of it like you are with the publishing industry. And all our books are in e-books, or they are going over. Some of them are not there yet, and the Kindles and all of that. But I still like to think that people are still going to want a book that they can hold in their hands. So a lot of people have told me that. It doesn't matter about the electronics. They still want a paper book. But maybe that's the older generation. But our books, we are keeping on top of the technology, and we are in e-books, and things are moving tremendously fast because we do um, meetings now by Skype with our office in England, and we're able to just be like in the same room. All right. kinds of things are happening like that. Well, and I'm looking for a new platform with the radio show, uh, you know, where I can, you know, not only will they be hearing, you know, the guests, they will be seeing the guests. You know, I mean, it's it's very easy technology. I've been interviewed myself on a number of shows in this way, but, you know, it's just going to the next level with it all. And um, and I know you're going to be a speaker at your conference, so would you like to tell the listeners about what you will be speaking on? <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> You'll channel it in the moment. At this, point, at this point, I don't really, not really sure what I'm going to speak about because I've been speaking all over the world in the last year about the three waves of volunteers and the coming new earth. Uh, but I'm not sure if it'll be that or if I'm going to go further because I'm always getting more and more information. As I said, I'm working on three more books, too, 
and I just have tons of information that keeps coming in. It's going to be a long, long time before I start stop writing books. But um, I know we are going to do a future group regression. I've done those where we put the whole audience under at one time and we time travel. Oh, and I forgot to say, we've had a replacement in our lineup of speakers. One of our speakers can't make it. And, I, you know, that happens every once in a while. A few years ago, one of my authors died while the book was at the printers. My goodness. Which, you know, I had to find a replacement at the last minute. But this time, I've been able to get Dee Wallace to come again. And she is a firecracker. She has so much energy and she was our, at our conference last year as a keynote. She's the movie star, and she tell, also on TV. And this last summer, we did an Around the uh, United States tour together. So I got to know her very well, and she has tremendous energy and tremendous information. And last month, we did a weekend of uh, Creating Your Reality out in L.A., so she is going to be also a speaker in addition to all the other lineup that you have. I think it's going to be a really fantastic weekend, and people are going to get tons of information. Is it okay if I tell them where they can find out more? Absolutely, absolutely. This is, yes, please do. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> we have our website is you know Ozark Mountain Publishing, but it's abbreviated. O-Z-A-R-K-M-T dot com, or you can just type in DoloresCannon dot com, and you'll get uh, everything about all the schedules, and you has everything about the conference and the lineup of the speakers and everything. It's it's all there. And also, I forgot to mention, we're going to have some of the speakers are going to be doing workshops right after the conference is over. And Guy Needler is one of those. He'll be having a workshop. Also, Maria Wheatley, who uh, her father is was the the top dowser in the UK, and he wrote a book on on dowsing. And she's going to be talking about ley lines and um, uh, vortexes and energy centers. We're bringing her over from England, also as well as Guy. So she's going to be doing a workshop. So it's going to go on beyond the three days if people are interested. It's going to be a lot of fun. Fabulous. Fabulous, fabulous, Dolores. You just you just have so much energy and stamina. It just amazes me. And, you know, I'm I'm just so grateful, you know, for the work that you're doing and you know, the books arrive, you know, your 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 company is so wonderful, you know, and, and I have several that we'll be reviewing in the next um in the next few issues and I, I do want to mention that there is a wonderful interview um with Dolores Cannon in the June issue of Spirit Seeker and you can read all about that at spiritseeker.com and, um, you know, just, oh, I don't even know where to begin to say thank you so much to all of you uh, listeners. You've been hearing from Dolores Cannon, who is speaking about the 2012 Transformation Conference that is happening July 13th through 15th in Rogers, Arkansas. You've been hearing from Arun Gundy, who will be speaking on total nonviolence, uh, Guy Needler, the author of The History of God, and Wayne Peterson, Humanity at the Crossroads, speaking on transform, uh, transforming our global consciousness. So this is just a taste of what you will be experiencing. And, you know, Spirit Seekers 
so happy to be a part of all of these conferences. You know, uh, we're, we're a supporter of the first Midwest Bhakti Fest, which will be happening June 28th through July 1st, and that is in Madison, Wisconsin. There will be 30 yoga classes over three days, 40 hours of kirtan, uh, devotional chanting and singing with the top chant masters from all over the world. Started The music and chanting starts at 9 in the morning and goes till midnight, three days in a row. There are workshops with some of the top yoga practitioners. Spirit Seeker will be a part of that. We will be there with our magazines. We were just at Celebrate Your Life, as I mentioned, um, with over 2,000 attendees in Chicago. We 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 go where the where the things are happening and the people that are making a difference and a change in the world. And you know, we're just it's an honor and a privilege to do this work. And thank you all for being my guests this evening. And Dolores, just thank you so much for the work you're doing. Well, thanks for having all of us on tonight. Okay. All yeah. right. So Ozark, uh, O-Z-A-R-K-M-T dot com. And, and from my heart to, to all of your hearts, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank okay. you very much. All right. Okay. Namaste and good Namaste. evening, everyone. Good night. Okay. Namaste. Good night. Good night. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.